It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. We have a great show lined up today. Joining me is Brad Zalas, the author of a very interesting book entitled Leadership from Woodstock to Wikipedia, Multi-Generational Management Ideas That Are Changing the Way We Run Things. You know, and Brad, how you doing? Very good, Andy. Uh, just wanted to correct you real quick. It's Liquid Leadership from Woodstock to oh, Wikipedia. Oh, I forgot the liquid part. <laughs> liquid. And All that... Right. We don't even have to do that over if you don't want. No, no, that's fine. We'll leave it out. Liquid leadership. My mistake. I'm sorry. So no, And I learned that's the title of how I had to learn to adapt my own leadership style during the dot-com boom. Uh, and if you think your millennials are driving you crazy, you should have been there in the very beginning when nobody knew what this was. Right, right. <laughs> well, I'm just going a little bit of an intro here, which I'll, I'll do anyway. But I was going to say, you know, a compelling argument can be made that business and work and work life have changed more in the past 20 years than perhaps in the previous hundred. But one of the constants, it seems to me, of the workforce is that the cycling in and out of new generations of workers into the workplace. And each mm-hmm. one's shaped by their unique experiences and ready to change the world. You know, certainly that way with my parents' generation after World War II and their offspring, the boomers, who are shaped by the cultural upheaval of the 60s and 70s. And now we've got our kids, the millennials, you know, the first digital generation shaped by internet and technology coming into the workforce. And unfortunately, another constant of all this change is this miscommunication and misunderstanding and mistrust that seems to characterize, you know, the perceptions and the working relationships of each generation to another. So Brad is going to help us sort out exactly how managers and millennials can thrive (laughs) together. Brad, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Andy. I appreciate it. Uh, All I can say is this. Do you ever get on an airplane and they tell you, here's how you do the crash position and you put your head in a pillow? Uh, That's pretty much what I'm going to tell you to do. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so I've been on an airplane. I've been on an airplane where I had to do that. And Uh, uh, I have to think back now whether I thought about whether that correlated to, to managing millennials or not. But so, so tell us a little bit about you, your background, how you came around to becoming an expert on the subject of managing millennials? It was actually quite by accident. And uh, let's go back in time to right around 1994. And I don't know if anybody remembers uh, what was going on back then, but I had started a design firm in New York City. And in order to separate us from the 4,000 other design firms that were in New York City, me and my business partner, we kind of decided we'd become an internet company. And uh, when I first heard about the internet, I just went, "What? What? What's the internet?" <laughs> and, and, and you remember back then, it was either you, it was either emails, or you had a static page, or you had to choose a, a background of gray well, or it was, gray. It was basically <laughs> e- email or prodigy. I think in 1994 was pretty much it. Exactly. So when I looked at my business partner, because he was the one, Doug Cleek and I, we went to college together and we had been in New York like nine, 10 years. And he comes running into the office one day and we had a one room office trying to make it big in New York. You know what I mean? Bootstrapping the whole operation. Didn't have any startup capital. And he just says, we have to become an internet company. 
And we already had some pretty good clients, but not enough to, to make a living. And so when he said the internet, I was just like, oh, I don't know about this. Because it was just like going back in time uh, when it came to design and things like this. Well, we sent out a postcard mailing, and all of a sudden, we got a knock on our door. Here there was a server farm in our building. We didn't even know that. Uh, back when nobody knew what a server farm was. And all of a sudden, here was a guy who did prescription-based uh, models for like Sierra Magazine and, and things like that, so, or subscription-based models. And so we started doing our first graphical user interface. And all of a sudden, we got another knock on our door because we were in a public building on 11th and Broadway. And a young woman said, you have to meet my fiancé. He went to Warden. And we're like, okay, whatever. <laughs> and I think it was uh, two Saturdays later, they were married and back from their honeymoon. And he comes into our office. He sits there on a Saturday. His name was David Setner. And he goes, you know, I could sell this. And we're like, okay. And I looked at him, and David was younger than us. You have to remember, Doug and I were baby boomers, and David was Gen X. Mm -hmm. And although he, was, although he was three years younger than us, he acted strange. He didn't obey the rules. He broke every model I'd ever learned about sales. And I looked at him and I said, all right, David, if you can sell $1 million. <laughs> $1 million, Dr. Evil, yeah. yes. I'm holding my pinky up to my, my right. mouth. If you can sell $1 million worth of Internet services, not only will I make you uh, my CEO, I'll make you my business partner. I will, I will sign that over. Well, in nine months, he did $1.5 million. And we were like, whoa. So all of a sudden, the following year, he did $4.3 million in sales, headed up our sales division. And then we were doing $7.4 million and then $9.3 million. And we exploded from me and my business partner, Doug, uh, to 60 employees with three offices worldwide. And we did a public offering in an IPO on NASDAQ. And uh, basically, we were, we were evaluated at $26 million. And I did it all by using young talent. Uh, and, I, and I don't want to say using. I gave them the opportunity to take control of the company. I said, look, this I started this baby, but I'm going to tell you something. If there's a problem at this company, it's your fault because this is a playground. If you have a great idea, I want you to bring it to me. We'll back it. We'll finance it. If you think th things should be run differently in the management model because I created our, our uh, production model that we're using, uh, they tweaked it and made it better. I said, if you can make it even better, let's do it. If you have an idea, bring it forth. This is your company, and I want you to take responsibility for it. We grew 425% for five straight years because of that. All right. But, so, they, but they weren't millennials. They were Generation X, and a few of them were millennials. And they, yes, they were. They had the same traits as many of the millennials, and here's why. They were all from creative fields. They were all from, we had MIT programmers who, if you've ever worked with people from oh, certain yeah. colleges, they can be a, a little bit hard to deal with because they're, uh, uh, I'll just say it, they can be a little arrogant, a little in, in your face about their, their coding abilities, <laughs> like they're superhuman. And then you're working with designers who have purple hair and, and maybe an ear or two, and, uh, but they understand deadlines. So you have two sides of the creative field. How do you bring them together? And we were the first pioneers to do that. So we were dealing with people who were every, every age group from about 30 on down to 21. And this was the very first wave of people 
digital natives, as they're called, that were born around 1977. And at the time, I said, there's got to be something in the Kool-Aid. I could not understand it. And a lot of people think, well, Gen X is a lot like boomers, not our Gen Xers. They were exactly like millennials. And maybe it was because of the way we managed them. But the thing is, is they were uh, they would question everything. They were pushed against everything. Uh, but the only great part is they obeyed the rules. That was the difference. Uh, but, yeah, we it, our, our growth was explosive because of it. So what happened after you went public? Well, then the real work began <laughs> because uh, what happened is um, the whole operation was bootstrapped. And so by the time we had financing in place, what we began to do was we developed four divisions and they were all employee created. So from that, what happened is uh, one of our best divisions was Click Now. We would take proprietary advertising and group them together in a simple search engine uh, that got sold off. Uh, with the two employees uh, that came up with it and managed it, uh, they actually went with the deal. And they are now CEOs uh, of their own agencies as well. Uh, we had several other divisions, and some of those people are now uh, running their own companies, doing media buying for advertising and things like that. But eventually, the dot-com implosion took place, and we didn't, we didn't lose out. We got bought out, actually by a uh, much larger company. So uh, it, it, w it was what it was, but I learned and we received awards for our management model back then for uh, managing this next generation, getting the most out of them, getting the most productivity out of their quirky behavior. And so that was the impetus for writing your book. Exactly. So where'd the term liquid leadership come from? I had to change. <laughs> and I'm a boomer. I, you know, I'm, I'm very strict. I'm like, look, we have hierarchy here. You have to earn your way. All those things my father taught me. And I realized I had to throw all that out during the dot-com boom. Not that they didn't work back then, but something new was coming along th that forced me to let go of it. Because not only has behavior changed, people have changed, but technology allows uh, uh, smaller companies to compete with larger companies very easily with an app. So, uh, you know, you really have to adapt in this day and age to the markets and the models that you see. And I call that adaptation uh, liquid leadership. So it seems to me that there are, you know, we talk about this issue of the millennial, that there are... Man, I'm built up around it, a, a series of myths, if you will. <laughs> and yes, and it, it'd be like sort of like to get your opinion. We go through some of those myths, at least as I've sort of seen it uh, written out, or people talk about it. One is, you know, that millennials are entitled. I mean, is mm -hmm. <clears throat> talk about that for a second. It looks like entitlement. And, and by the way, for those of you who don't know, some of the generational breakdowns, uh, boomers, we. Actually, uh, the older boomers raised Gen X, and the younger cusp boomer is millennials. Uh, and we, we took everything out of it uh, that we were raised with, like get up at 5.30, be afraid of your boss, obey your peers, uh, hustle, 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 wait until you, you can get to a certain age, and then you'll take a vacation, and you can't talk to the CEO until you've hit about 40 years age. Those were things that we were taught. We knew our place in the workforce. And for some reason, we thought if we took that out of the curriculum when they were growing up as children, our children would 
through osmosis somehow get that. Well, that's been removed. And the way millennials have been raised, it all starts in childhood. Millennials have been taught that mom and dad are peers. They've also been taught that their teachers, they can call their teachers by their first name. And they've been trained for 12 years to collaborate. And everybody's voice is important. And if you don't get that, they walk away. Mm -hmm. And so now we have adults that appear to us to be entitled when actually we taught them to be that way. We taught them not to take any guff from adults. We taught them that to expect exactly the same thing that we had in our lives, and they don't even see themselves as younger and should wait their turn. So that's going to look like entitlement. The reality is, is you have a mini boomer right in front of you who doesn't see that they're supposed to wait their turn, that they're supposed to, and you hear what I said, supposed to, that's woulda, coulda, shoulda, all these rules that we have in our head. They want to come into a company and be seen as an equal partner in the success of the company. And if you don't treat them that way, they'll kind of walk away. They'll just turn their back uh, and walk away. And they expect certain things. And I'll be honest with you, Andy. When I first heard about this, it made me furious. The boomer inside me went, are you kidding me? Because I had young employees who were at the time maybe about 25, 24, 23 years of age uh, who wanted a $90,000 a year salary. And if I wasn't going to pay them that, they wanted a laptop and a cell phone. And remember, cell phones were kind of a new thing mm -hmm. back then. And they wanted internet connection paid for at home. And they wanted to do their emails at 2 o'clock in the morning and come in at work at 10. And at first I was like, are you kidding me? You know, I, I was furious. <laughs> and I know some of you listening are going, yeah, I'm angry. You know, storm the castle with torches. But here's what really is going on. They knew their value from childhood. When I was growing up, nobody was listening to a 25-year-old. You were supposed to be happy that you had a job, put your head down and shut up or you're going to get fired. And how many of us listening, how many of you had to pretend to look busy when your boss walked by? Well, millennials don't have any of that. You know, they're, they're kind of sitting there going, okay, my work's done. What else can I do? Or can I go home, please? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we're looking at somebody who's been raised completely differently millennials just don't don't see the things that we do yeah and i think i think part of that too which is which is is overlooked by the the boomers is that as you said they're sort of digital natives right and so so much of what yes. the is what we might take for being entitled either from a digital standpoint or sometimes even from a social cultural standpoint to them is just it's just not a question right right i mean i i Give an example of uh, someone was talking about it, an academic, academic institution where the student government asked for a gender-neutral bathroom to put into a classroom building. And the administration went, went crazy, talking yeah. about how entitled these kids were. But to the kids, it was like, well, why wouldn't there be one? Right, exactly. And so it wasn't entitlement. It was just like, well, okay, the world's changed. Uh, of course you're going to have one, right? The world's very different. And so it's yeah. like, yeah, it's like, they're with the world, and the boomers are trying to cling to this world that's rapidly disappearing. Yes, and, and all I have to say is to my baby boomer brethren, these aren't boxes to fit people into. You know, I've met boomers who act like millennials, like myself, and I've met Gen Xers who act like millennials or act like a boomer, and I've met millennials who act like boomers. So, But these are clues to why they act the way they do. And it's not entitlement. They just see that, well... I have uh, friends who are uh, 
what is it, uh, gay, lesbian, and transgender. So they automatically uh, expect bathrooms maybe to be neutral of that fact. Mm -hmm. Or um, I remember I do a lot of workshops and trainings at corporations, and some people are standing okay. They're, they're afraid to talk uh, about certain races and certain cultures and things. They said, look, we have to have a sanctuary to do this because we're crossing over into brand new territory. And for over 100 years, lawyers in companies have spent all this money. They've spent all this money keeping the conversation down below, underneath it all. But it's there now. So you have to deal with it. So let's go. Uh, you're going to have a lot more women employees. You're going to have a lot of more employees that are black, Latino, Indian, uh, Ireland, uh, German, because they're coming in from all over the world. And they all have higher degrees and higher education. And they're going to be millennials. They're going to be Gen Xers. And they have, in other countries, different influences as well. Uh, and I'm excited by this. I think this is the, the way the world actually is. But uh, it's going to be a bumpy road as long as we still cling to the old-fashioned notions and ideas and things like that. And and it's just a matter of not looking at them through the rose-colored glasses that boomers had and realize we raised them to be this way. Uh, it looks like expectation, but the reality is, is they expect when they come into a company to get a laptop and to get uh, a cell phone paid for by the company and Wi-Fi and part of it is they understand their value. And here's the big thing. If you don't have enough money to pay them the salary they demand, they do expect the toys. And I say to you, give them what they want because it's kind of a way of managing that budget. Prove yourself. Let's see how you go. I've given you everything. Let's go. Let's do business. Let's get this hustle going that I hear so much about millennials when they're fired up. And, and that's what I uh, recommend to everybody to do. Okay, well, great. We're going to take a short break, and we're going to continue, continue with this conversation when we come back with my guest, Brad Zalas. Hi, this is Andy. Connect and Sell is used by sales reps at nearly 1,000 companies, including hundreds of technology startups and several Fortune 500 companies, to overcome the challenges of getting prospects on the phone. Companies using Connect and Sell grow their revenues faster by enabling their sales reps to have more sales conversations in 90 minutes than they could otherwise achieve in an entire week. Connect and Sell can be deployed directly to your sales reps, or you can take advantage of their outbound on-demand service, which delivers qualified prospect meetings scheduled directly on your sales reps' calendars. Visit connectandsell.com to learn more about how Connect and Sell can start filling your pipeline today. Welcome back. We're talking about managing millennials in the workplace with my guest, Brad Zalas, author of the book, I'm not going to leave out the key word this time, liquid leadership <laughs> from Woodstock to Wikipedia, multi-generational management ideas that are changing the way we run things. So another myth I want to talk about uh, associated with millennials is that they expect to be rewarded just sort of simply for showing up. Mm -hmm. And personally, I don't see that. I, I do this in front of every keynote I do. I go into the audience and I, I, I tell this myth right there. I said, I don't think millennials want to receive a trophy and business cards for showing up. Am I right? And all the millennials shake their head. Yeah, that, that's not what they want. They know that getting a trophy for just showing up is not real. They've learned that at this point. But what they do expect is to be treated equally 
as the 40-year-old who's worked there for 16 years because the millennial believes that their value that they bring to the table is affecting your bottom line. And they would like you to pay them first, and then they'll show you what they can do. Whereas, think about how a boomer thinks. A boomer thinks, I'm lucky to have a job. I'm so glad I'm here. I'm going to work my tail off to prove myself, and then they'll give me the raise. Millennials see it the opposite. Mm-hmm. Pay, me, pay me what I'm worth, and then I'll show you what I can do. And this is just an understanding and a flipping uh, of all the models uh, that Frederick Winslow Taylor and everybody else put together that people at the bottom are just cattle and should shut up. You now have college-educated, tech-savvy individuals who've been raised in business since they were kids, and they've learned how to collaborate and work as a team and be a leader and rotate that leadership all through video games and child-centric parenting and child-centric curriculum. All these things have been centered around them. They see things in business that we may not catch. And if you ignore them and if you shove them to the side and expect them to 100% live by the boomer rules, uh, you're going to miss out on that big, big, exciting moment where they can help you redefine and, and reinvent your company. Yeah, and I think sort of the corollary that you oftentimes hear about expecting a reward just for showing up is that millennials don't work hard. But again, I've <laughs> my experience has been just the opposite. Yeah, I, I interview a lot of startup yeah. CEOs for that are millennials or that, you know, just in the course of dealing with my work, dealing with people that call me that fit in that generation or, you know, look at my kids and what they're doing in their work. And I, I'm not sure I've seen a generation work harder. Oh, I agree. Uh, the millennials I work with, and, and I coach quite a few independent entrepreneurs, uh, they're just excited and passionate about what they do. Uh, I work with a company called uh, Plant-Based Solutions. Uh, this young guy, David Benzikin, has really dedicated his life to veganism. And if you look at what he does, I mean, he advises Chipotle. He he sits with McDonald's and tells them what they can do and what they should have and what they should not have in their menu. He's running around with international brands, and the guy just turned like 31. He's been doing this for like the past uh, 15 years since he was a kid. He wound up in the New York Times because he saved a pig. Uh, so he, he just saved a pig from the slaughterhouse. Right. Look it right. up. But um, – when you see that they believe in something and they're passionate about it, don't judge it. Just just give them more fire under that uh, to get them to work for you. Uh, because they, they will. If they know you appreciate them and they see that you get what they're talking about and you take age out of the equation for advancement in the company and just treat them like another human being, you are going to see powerful results. You're going to see... Uh, a person be, be lit on fire who just, just loves what they're doing. Yeah, it seems like maybe one of the the issues that you encounter sometimes, and it, to me it's, it's sort of a pan-generational issue, but it it's maybe coming to the surface through the millennials, is that what you read about is one of the things that, you know, really important when you're managing millennials is, you know, be absolutely clear about roles and responsibilities. Whereas yes. when we came up, or at least I came up, and... Yeah, there was there was sort of this conscious ambiguity oftentimes. Right. <laughs> and I think it was just part of part of this thing about managers, you know, sort of wanting to have sort of a doggy dog environment. Uh, so it was always pitting one person against the other rather than building this collaborative workforce that was more productive. Well, uh, I don't know if you uh, 
there, there's a lot of uh, dialogue out there, but uh, check out the book Same Side Selling with uh, Ian Altman from Forbes magazine. The first thing he says in the, in the book is, why are we at war? You know, why are we fighting each other? We should be on the same side together working to solve solutions, whether it's internally in a company or it's in the sales cycle. And, and I look at it the same way. Why are we fighting? And I want some of you to go back in time and look at your, your first jobs. What were you taught? You were taught to fear your boss. And when you got into the office, you had to look busy, which meant you had to figure out on your own uh, what worked <laughs> or what you should be doing. So you were, uh, let's put it this way, it was all on your shoulders. And I'm sure you remember, Andy, some of your first jobs, you had to figure it out. And if you didn't figure it out, you got fired. So there was fear involved. Yeah, I mean, I was, I started off in sales. So if we were still in the office at 830, you know, that was a problem. So we didn't have to, uh, we didn't have to worry about looking busy. We actually had to go out and be busy. And you're rare. You're, you're very rare for your generation. I think we talked about this in the green room before we, we, uh, started this conversation, but yes, you were rare for your generation. You knew about hustle at an early age and what sales meant. If you didn't, uh, if you didn't go out fishing, you weren't eating that day. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there's the, there's this mindset amongst boomers that I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. I did it on my own. I survived. I became this amazing salesperson and uh, we can look at the next generation, but here's how they see things and they've learned when they're done with their sales calls or they've hustled and they're done, they want to go to the beach and relax. And I was shocked to hear this executive vice president who was in her thirties marked in the oil rigging business. She says, I don't care if one of my employees gets all their work done by 1030 and wants to go to the beach. What do I care? And I just kind of, the boomer in me, uh, again, the gears went in my head like, well, uh -huh. But here's the reality. That guy might be working later on tonight at 10 o'clock. You didn't get that when you just have people fitting into buckets. When you put people and time into buckets, like, okay, we have an eight-hour shift. This is what we're going to get done in eight hours. That's what it looks like to a boomer with the time management structure of the 20th century. But in the 21st century, it's like, well, okay, I got to get two hours worth of stuff done here. Let me hustle and get it done in two hours because I want to get out of here. Then they get out, they go out into the field, maybe they'll take a break, go see a movie, then they'll work and hustle another two hours. Now, we may not like this style for ourselves, but if it meets deadlines and it gets work done and you become the top salespeople at your company, and by the way, I do know quite a few millennials that are burying boomers who have been in the business for 30 years through using their own time management model and mm -hmm. getting things done. So it's how we work. Uh, do you have one model or do you have several? Do you allow for different ways of working? Um, just like uh, when I teach management uh, and training structure, you have to realize boomers were raised on only three learning styles, whereas millennials have been raised on all nine or ten learning styles. So th this really shifts everything we're doing. Nowadays, um, you have a very well-rounded uh, individual in a young person. Anybody who's 35 and younger, uh, if you can tap in and teach them a couple of the things that you do expect there, but you do have to be clear on expectations because, as I said, they've been allowed to collaborate and, and pick their own curriculum for so long, they might not know their rules to obey. So you have to tell them what those are.
And then there are other just sort of basics that I think that you, know, you read about that become important with with millennials, but they say important for millennials. But the fact is, they're just good management practice overall. Is uh, right. Say please and thank you. Yes. I mean, very, very <laughs> rare. Yes. When when I got started in work, I don't think my boss ever asked me to do anything. It was very directed. But yeah, just in course of sort of normal human relations, saying please and thank you goes a long way. Oh yes. How many? How many listening? And maybe this happened to you, Andy, as well. But I've had bosses uh, try to hit me, try to tackle <laughs> me. You know, we. I, I work with a guy, Todd Church, as he said. He worked over at uh, NBC or CBS or whatever, and this one uh, boss threw a box of pens at him, and she was just angry. And her attitude was, "I had to suffer through this, and you're going to suffer through it too. You got to earn your way through this." And, and now we're coming into that, and and we remember that. That's echoing in the back of our heads that a boss is supposed to be mean and and torture and see who the best and brightest are going to be. They're going to stick it out here. And millennials, they see that as abuse. <laughs> well, it is abuse. I mean, I, I, and I think yeah. I was a millennial ahead of my time. I, I worked for a company that was acquired at one point in time. My career was acquired and the president of the acquiring company that I now worked for was one of these abusive individuals. And so monthly staff meetings, I'd have to fly cross country to go to monthly executive staff meetings. It was him ranting and raving, you know, nonstop throughout the meeting. And I saw him reduce some people to tears, you know, executives to tears. And I thought, well, this is a complete, a completely unnecessary right. and counterproductive. And B, I'm just not going to come anymore. <laughs> After about, I always managed to be out of the country <laughs> that day for the, uh, the monthly staff meeting. So until eventually they said, you should really start coming to this or maybe you should leave the company. I said, okay, bye. <laughs> so <laughs> life's just too short. Yeah. So, and I think if there's I a lesson, a lesson that millennials can teach us, uh, one of many that they could teach us is, you know, just please and thank you go a long ways. Well, you just explained something that I find incredibly powerful. And if some of you are listening who still maybe are a bit confused and see millennials as a pain or whatever is, I want you to listen to that story Andy just told, uh, that's abuse. You may not think it or see it as abuse, but that's how millennials see it because they've been taught, you don't treat me that way. You don't uh, lay your hands on me. You don't get on my case. You don't yell at me, and they walk away from it. And uh, some of you may see that as, well, that's entitlement or that's, uh, you know, who do you think you are? I'm your boss. And they just don't see it that way. They have much higher self-esteem. They've been raised differently. They'll work hard for you if you see them as a partner in your business, but they're not going to work hard for you if you bark orders and yell at them. And, you know, it's one thing, you know, like I take the martial arts, and it's one thing if your sensei yells at you for screwing up, that's necessary, but he eventually builds you up. And you have to have that in equal amounts and maybe more so around millennials uh, because that's how they were raised. And I think they have a much better sense of the worth of what they know and can do yes and yes. you know that's one of the, the benefits of growing up in the digital age but that's really important and again if you're a manager listening to this you got to recognize that because that talent is very portable these days yes it is and they will go to another company and take your secret sauce with them and uh tell your competition what's going on well, uh, yeah, they created that. that secret sauce. So, yeah. <laughs> so, all yes. right. 
Well, good. Well, Brad, uh, that's been a great discussion. Let's jump into the last segment of the show. I've got some rapid fire questions for you. Sure. So you were a business owner. You you were out selling customers. What was your most powerful sales tool, your personal sales tool? What's your most powerful thing that you brought to the sales equation? I would spend less time on me talking about me and my presentation. I usually had a five-minute presentation, and the rest was ask questions and listen. Excellent. And I would just, I, I, I actually would pull out a pad of paper and ask one question after another. And this astounded me. Uh, I was doing a pitch for this one company, and we're sitting there, and I left, and I felt confused at first. I was like, we didn't get a chance to talk at all. That client shows us for uh, a $250,000 website. And the number one thing they said, Andy, was this, your presentation blew us away. We're like, but we didn't give a presentation. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So who's your business role model? Ooh, that's a good one. I think it's a toss up between uh, Richard Branson and my grandfather. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, what's your grandfather do? My grandfather, uh, God bless me, passed away in 98, but uh, he was a, a restaurateur. And one of the things that he taught me is, uh, you've heard the old saying, uh, you turn lemon into lemonades. Mm-hmm. And when the world gives you lemons, you, you turn it into lemonades. Well, my grandfather owned this restaurant down in Pennsylvania, and uh, it was a small restaurant, but uh, somebody owed him a lot of money. And he knew the guy couldn't pay him back. So he understood, okay, I didn't want to ruin the friendship. So my grandfather knew he did landscaping. So he said, why don't you landscape the whole outside of of my restaurant and we'll call it a day. And the guy said, sure. So my grandfather's restaurant was called Hottie's Cottage in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania. It's called The Cottage today. But uh, it would look like a Swiss chalet. So he wanted all this landscaping done outside with some Western theme and some barrels with uh, trees in them. He chose the trees that look like the sort of the, the Douglas fir trees. They're real nice. They're in barrels, and they're around the restaurant outside. And my grandfather turned around. And he said, "Okay, let me let me fix this up. The debt's cleared." He was happy. Well, two weeks later, those trees died, and they were brown. And my grandfather was so mad. But one day on a Saturday, he says, "Come on, Bucky," because that was my nickname as a kid. And he said, "Let's go uh, to the hardware store." So he went and he bought probably forty cans of green and. and uh, you know, Kelly Green and Forest, all these green cans of spray paint. And on Sunday, we spent that day spray painting those evergreen trees back to green and putting green spotlights on them. Do you know they were like that for 20 years? He sold the business. No one ever knew that those trees were dead. <laughs> <laughs> and he taught me, look, you, you can get upset. But if life throws you, you know, dead trees, you go get green uh, spray paint and you run the business. You you keep moving. You keep doing what you need to do. And the one thing my grandfather did was he created some of the very best uh, food on his menu. Customers came first. Uh, and, and that was just the way he was. So I, I think it's tossed between my grandfather and Richard Branson. <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> So last question, this is really a difficult one, is uh, what's your favorite music to listen to to pump yourself up? Well, there's two. There's two bands. Uh, well, two, two styles. Well, I like Rush. Let's put it that way. Yeah, so okay. I've been, a, I've been a Rush fan since I was a kid, but I also like jazz. And uh, that can be anything from Tower of Power to Pat Metheny 
do anything that just can kick into that right here. I love funk, uh, which is part of the jazz genre as well. Uh, yeah, so that's just how I am. <laughs> All right, sounds good. All right, I want to thank my guest today. It's been Brad Solis. Brad, please tell folks how they can find out more about you. All you have to do is go to my blog and website, which is www.liquidleadership.com. And you can also send me off an email to brad at liquidleadership.com. And for you, those of you listening today, I will send you a free report on what every business needs to know about millennials. Excellent. All right. And we'll have that information on the website, on the show notes page for this episode. So remember, friends, make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. Subscribing to this podcast can be an easy way to do that because then you'll make sure you don't miss any of our conversations with top business experts like our guest today, Brad Zollis, who shares his expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks for joining us. And until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guest, visit my website at andypaul.com.